it may, it, it makes me kind of think of a, uh, an earlier point that you kind of touched on earlier in the conversation that I want to dig deeper on. Um, well, one, what, what, <laughs> one thing that, you know, is very interesting about just the idea of work and this not necessarily feeling like work and kind of clarifying what that means is when you have purpose, um, no matter how unglamorous or toiling it is, uh, it doesn't feel like work, right? It ha if it, that, the, 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 the secret ingredient there and the not secret ingredient is purpose. But one of the things that I, I think a lot about that I have a hard time kind of wrangling in my mind, I live in a very uh, unique liberal city we can name, <laughs> that we can name or not name. And um, one of the words, you start to hear buzzwords. Yeah. That, that within like, you know, I live in this liberal the city that I call liberal fascism. It, in mm -hmm. other words, it's so liberal, and the view is, you can, uh, uh, we, we welcome you, uh, and you can believe whatever you want. Can, am I allowed to swear on this show? Yeah. Okay, you can believe whatever you want, um, is as, as long as it's what we believe, or get the fuck out. Exactly. Okay, I call that liberal fascism. That's the town um, I, I live in. And, and one of the things I've been hearing the last year or two, I've been hearing this, this word, and I, it doesn't, the word is the right word, but it sounds like narcissism to me. And, right. it, and when you described it, it didn't sound like narcissism. So I'm trying to kind of piece this out. But I've been hearing this word self-care. Right. And when I, when I was talk, when I was listening to you just now talk about doing for yourself so that you can be a better person for others, that made sense. But when I hear the, the in my town, when I hear that word, I hear something that sounds like hoarding, greedy, yep. narcissism. So what's the difference between what you're talking about and this, oh, you know, uh, I mean, I, I, God, I don't want to, I was working with a very, well-known artist, one of the more famous artists internationally that just happens to live in this town. And I'd interviewed her on the radio for something and something had gone amiss, it got straightened out. And she said, you know, if I wasn't doing that interview, I could have been doing self-care, right? And, uh, you know, and it, it was, you know, I don't want to throw her under a bus. It was, it was a reflection, what? No, was a, not at all. Yeah, yeah, it was a reflection of something it's a bigger thing that I hear um, a lot, this concept of self-care, where I, when I hear it, even though I agree with what you just said, when I hear that concept of, oh, you know, I, need to, I just really need to do self-care right now, I, I hear something that sounds hoarding, greedy, mm -hmm. uh, repulsive, pushy, um, narcissistic. So what's the difference? <laughs> Um, I, I think that um, it, it's the, the differences, and again, this is your area, we'll come back to this, but um, I think the difference is language, um, uh, subjective language. Um, you know, I speak about purpose, I speak about authenticity, um, which is really, I talk about being a freak, but I speak about purpose, I speak about uh, authenticity, about being an authentic, vulnerable leader who lives his life or her life on purpose. Um, and I, you know, and I hear people say, I've found my why. No, you haven't. That's the new cool trendy thing to say. But you actually haven't. What you've done is you've taken your mission statement and given it a new coat of paint. That's different. Oh, well, I'm authentic. No, you're a dick. 
and you're okay with being a dick, and that's, that is actually authentic because you're okay with being a dick. But that's not off being an authentic leader. That's a different gig altogether. So it's this subjective and malleableness of language. And so when somebody says self-care, they go, oh, well, I can just ignore my children or I can ignore my what it is that I've actually created the responsibility for because I've got to take care of myself. Um, as opposed to my self-care, yes, I work out and I meditate and I write and I do those things. Yeah, but part of my self-care is feeding my coconut, feeding my brain with delicious conversations. Mm -hmm. Part of mine is, here's one of my self-cares. When I get to serve somebody, sitting with somebody and watching the freaking lights come on, I go away, yeah, I may have poured... 20 hours into that person in a set in a session 20 single straight back-to-back -back hours mm -hmm. and i am freaking exhausted but i am so full so i think it's this it's this, this the malleableness of language the subjective understanding of language and and the narcissistic the egoic part of us we've all got one the egoic part of us that says oh i can use this for what i want one of my quotes is that your your ego learns everything you do don't forget that because it will use your spirituality and your development against you to keep you stuck. Mm. Right? And yeah. well, uh, oh, you don't understand. I took all of Dolph Barron's programs. I'm more enlightened than you. No, you're a spiritual egoist. That's what you are. You're playing spiritual ego. That's not, you're not better. Nobody's better than everybody else. But you've got to pay attention to what it is you need. And you've got to be willing to call that and state that, not because somebody's taking it away from you. And a lot of the times when that artist says, you know, well, I could have been doing self-care instead of this, then that implies that Jamie took an hour of that person's time. No, you volunteered it. Either you are a victim or you're empowered. Those, it does two choices. That's it. So are you choosing to be here with me? Or are you a victim of being here? And it was also a beautiful interview that I think for people that wouldn't have that level of success would have would have really gotten a lot out of it. It was on a radio station. A lot of people listened to it. I thought she contributed to the world sure. by, by, by listening to, we're talking about a highly successful person. Yeah. That, so, and then the idea that she maybe regretted it uh, when I thought she was making an offering so it's, it, what, what my takeaway from what you're saying is that we have to be careful not to use words, uh, buzzwords, whatever, to kind of justify the fact that we just want to do whatever the fuck we want to do. Exactly. Okay. And, and you know what? If somebody says to me, I just want to go do X, great. But if you want to say to me, I want to go do X because it's self-care, I'm going to slap you. Okay. I'm All sorry. Right. I'm going to take a take a fish out of the fridge and just slap you a couple of times because like you know the the bottom line is you know as you talked about this this liberal fascism is that we're all so busy trying to look and sound right that we don't we're not true and this is why i get pissed off with authenticity as a word because it's a cool clicky word to say but people have lost the understanding that it actually means to just tell your truth just tell your truth. Don't tell me what you think I want to hear, right? You know, freedom of speech is wonderful as long as you agree with me. It's not freedom of speech. 
And that's a problem. That's a problem in our society that we have got to, got to grasp that, you know, I, I have worked with, I spoke at the UN with the leader of war, white Aryan race, right? The, the, he was the leader of the neo-Nazis in, in Western Canada. He took the Canadian government to court twice to the Supreme Court. And we spoke at the UN together. Why? Because he's not that. He's not the things you think he is. He's actually an amazing guy, and he's now a friend of mine, and he runs a group called Life After Hate and helps people to get out of that. Because if we look at things on the surface, we want to judge them. And we've got to get past that and say, what's really going on here? Oh, here's this mixed race kid. He's probably that. It's all what you're saying about all these frameworks. Yeah. Here's a, here's, here's, here's a Jew. Oh, he's probably rich. I was the poorest kid in my school. Yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, I, I think that if somebody said to me, you know, what was the one quality that you had was different. I mean, there's a, you know, there's a lot of qualities. One of them ultimately was this hard work and, and just singularity of focus. Right. But when, but, but, there, but there's a framework for those focuses and like a curiosity is a part of that framework. Another part of that framework, and this goes down to the freak thing again, and then even ties into this concept of authenticity. And I want to, I want to be careful of that word because I don't, I want to more tie it to the freak thing. Well, what is the, what is the relationship between the freak thing and authenticity? Well, the freak uh, marches to their own drummer. Yeah. Okay. So, and that's all authenticity is. They're like, uh, they feel a certain way and they go, that's right. That's good. And then they do that. And then because it's not because so many of us get de uh, overwhelmed by the notion that person that's not overwhelmed by the notion, the freak, uh, that is part of charisma because you say, look at that person moving through the world. They don't give a shit about what anybody thinks. And you could call that a freak or you could call that about someone that doesn't give a fuck what anybody else thinks, but does good and does good. That, that had, yeah. That piece that you just added on does good because that's the piece that takes it out of narcissism. Now, the problem with that, again, another flip is that the narcissist thinks they're doing good. So now we're into another intricacy. Okay. Because yeah. you're right. It's the person who's, who's going to say, this is what I do. I'm here to do it. And, and I just know it's right. Well, so does the narcissist. Yeah, yeah, that's narcissist true. Narcissist thinking exactly the same. That's true. Right? But, you know, yeah, there's a vibration. You could tell the difference between the two very easily. The, the uh, person that is uh, true is uh, open, curious, accessible. The narcissist is blank. They're very easy to spot if you're looking, right? The narcissist wow. is, yeah, is, is, a, is, a, is a mask, and that mask, to me, now that I understand it, is very obvious. But the main thing I wanted to do is just, you know, I really learned something today in terms of this, of, you know, I was really taken aback when you said this thing about the freak. It almost caught me off guard. Because, probably because it rang true, and also because I get fetishized as this this guy that kind of does his own thing, that looks different. So I'm kind of going, well, I guess I kind of am the freak, you know. Um, and uh, but but what that is, you know, when I is really the person that isn't the narcissist that is comfortable not being bound by other people's notions. And having the cure, the cure, the courage and the fortitude to move forward over long periods of time like that in everything yeah. that they do. And so, and I think that, again, I think that that is, 
probably the single most difficult thing that I had to overcome in my life was, and it's kind of like, and I thought about this before when you were talking about how you were insecure and you were nervous, you were like the opposite of everything you are now. And mm -hmm. I think I was that too. And I think, and now I'm get, I get accused all the time of being the competent guy, or the smart guy, or all those things. And I guess I am those things. But I think that had I not been so acutely insecure, so acutely anxious, so acutely broken, and figured out how to not be that anymore, um, I wouldn't be so confident on the other side, right? It's just, yeah, and, and I see that, but you know, uh, and I raise you, <laughs> raise you twenty, and that is this: I'm still insecure. I'm still doubting. I'm still as human as I ever was. I've just come to better terms with it, but I still have an anxiety attack every now. I, I am too. I am too. Right. Of course you are. And I mean, this is the. This is the thing is that we're, we're in this world of absolutes and it's bullshit. Yeah, I hear you. They don't exist. So you go, oh, you know, this person's really insecure. I bet if I sat down with that person, I could show you where they're really secure. Yeah, and maybe they're just really secure in their insecurity. Maybe yeah. that's the security. It's my least favorite word. Right. Uh, when but someone it, says, you know, Joe is really insecure. I'm like, the human condition is insecure. Exactly. Life on earth is insecure. Being right. an animal, knowing that we're all going to die is insecure. Right. You know, saying someone's insecure is like saying, you know, the wa water is wet. Exactly. Yeah. So, so it, this absolute nonsense, which is, you know, um, people say, you know, I've, I've had many of those things thrown at me, and I'm always like, ooh, I'm not comfortable with that. You know, you have so much charisma. I'm not comfortable with that because what? Okay, I know that I can. Uh, personify that, but I can also personify being an, an insecure person. Mm -hmm. If somebody says to me, oh, you're a genius. Well, ask my wife. Not so much. <laughs> you know, there's moments when I'm a bit of a dick or an idiot or I just don't think. Yeah. Right? Somebody says, you're masterful at communication. Yeah, except when I'm not. Yeah. So, again, it's, it's for me, there's understanding, grasping. There is no absolute. There is no place where this becomes absolute. And I think that this is part of the problem we in our society is that we're looking for the result that is a final result. And under, instead of understanding that humans are in an evolution, uh, you know, and, and, uh, I, and one of the things I wrote about when I was writing about creativity this week was that we are the divergent evolution of the creative force of the universe and, and that we are in a continuous evolution. And the, the moment we think we have evolved is the moment we're stuck. And that the breakthrough is in going, and this is why you and I, you know, that's it's the name of this show. That's why you and I are so like mainlining curiosity. Like, you know, if you could take everything away from me, and there's a lot of things I wouldn't want to give up, but I don't, you know, I, I think the thing I couldn't give up is curiosity because I see it as the root of love. I see it as the root of creativity. I see it as the root of intelligence. I see it as the root of understanding beauty. I see it as the root of everything. So for me, the, the, most, the most delicious thing, the thing that I cannot pass away is curiosity. And it's the thing that when I look at a child, I see as the most, the most uh, foundational piece 
of what is developing that human being. My my granddaughter, my youngest granddaughter is nine, uh, and, and she, you know, she's very curious with me all the time. And she asks G Dad all kinds of things, and you know, she likes to come to me and ask me things. And I love explaining things to her. And I say, but you know, that's not true, right? And she goes, are you telling me lies, G Dad? And I go, no. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, you've got to find out if it's true for you. She's like, what? And then she'll say things about about other things where she's made up her mind. And I can hear it's not her mind. I can hear it's her mom's mind. I can hear it's her teacher's mind. It's like, oh my God, they, you've become educated, stuffed in, rather than educat, drawn out. Well, you know, what that makes me think about, just listening to that story, is something that you said a few minutes ago that kind of took me aback for just a second. It was like a, I had just a moment of recoil. When you said, uh, you know, I'm fr I spoke at the UN and I'm friends with the guy from the white area nation of, uh, oh. of uh, Canada, right? Like for that, for like a brief second, I was like, you're friends with that guy, right? And then I caught myself and then you explained it. But even if you hadn't explained it, say you just said, I'm friends with this guy that's the head of war. And you didn't yeah. go on to say that now he's gone the other way. Um, that really ties to what you said right after it about once we think we're evolved well then we stop being curious and we're stuck okay and so what's what, what you said there that's that's so important and and, and this is going to be a controversial thing to say but i really do believe it and it's one of the ways that i live my life that i don't often talk about because it's so confusing to people i'm actually think uh, i've been asked to do a podcast about it and i'm and i'm probably going to do it Okay, um, the is this idea of like people that disagree with us, that even have horrible views that are destructive, right? We so quickly go, well, I know what that is. So I'm just gonna end the conversation right there. I have nothing to do with that. That is the representation of the liberal fascism, okay? Yeah. What if, that you know, uh, that Dave Eddie Wong, Eddie Wong, he wrote uh, "Fresh Off the Bus." He did a thing on Vice TV where he sat down in his restaurant in Greenwich Village or in New York uh, with uh, maybe it's not downtown somewhere uh, with a white supremacist that doesn't like him, and they had a conversation over dinner in his restaurant for an hour, and. What if we did that? What if we were willing to have the conversation with the hater? Yep. Right? Maybe it's like we're not willing to have conversations with a Republican versus a Democrat, or you believe in uh, a woman's right to say I can terminate a pregnancy, and I say I don't, I'm uncomfortable with that. Well, we can't talk now. Okay? You believe in uh, national health care because you're a Canadian? Well, you know, uh, that's not the free market. Right. So you're, you know, you're a communist or you're a socialist and I don't want to talk to you. Right. We've, we've gotten to this place where we're not willing to have conversations, not, not only we'll have conversations with people we disagree with, but have loving friendships with people we disagree with. Some of my favorite people in the world are people that I just, you know, we disagree on everything. I mean, uh, and but I love them. I love hanging out with them. I love spending time with them. Like, you know, they'll go on and on about how awesome Trump is and how, yeah. right. And, and, but I love the guy. 
And so, uh, and then, you know, you took it a step further saying, hey, I'm great friends with the war guy, right? So I, I guess what I'm, I, I'm, ask, I'm kind of saying as a statement, but I'm also asking it as a question, like, is there a line where someone does something so despicable or has a belief that's so despicable where we, where even guys like you that are ultimately curious go, you know what, I'm just not going to have a conversation with that person. The, the line for me is very simple. The line is, are they willing to be curious? That's it. That's it. So I'm willing to sit down with anybody who believes anything. You know, people ask Bill Maher, how can you be friends with Ann Coulter? They couldn't be more politically apart, but yeah. they are friends. Uh, because he understands that it's not about agreeing, it's about growing. So I, I'll sit down with anybody about anything. I don't care what you believe. It's fine. Are you willing to be curious? I can't go anywhere if you're willing to, if you're only willing to be right. Now, I don't mind if you want to start there, but if we're 10, 15 minutes in and that's all you can do, uh, you know, and I, and you can't take any challenge because you're too fragile. Because one of my, one of my things that I say to people is if somebody is so deeply embedded in their belief, they don't know it's true. Okay. And they go, if they're so, I don't need to believe anything I believe. I hear you. I don't need to believe a damn thing I'm saying. And I don't need you to believe a damn thing I'm saying, because I'm willing to be curious about it. And if I think it's this, then I go, okay, tell me what. Because I know I was a deeply spiritual person with a great belief in God. And then I didn't believe in God. I will. So let me give you. And do I believe in God now? Yeah, but not in the same form as I did originally. Okay. So there's an evolution. And if, okay. when I first started, when I first started, I believed in God and it was important that you did. And I was going to convince you. Now I have no interest in convincing you whatsoever. And in fact, I'm kind of interested if you can convince me something else, because that's my curiosity. So let me give you a scenario. Mm -hmm. you're, you're talking to somebody uh, that you're out at a rally and you see somebody that's, you know, we have these people called the Proud Boys here. I don't even know what they believe, right? But say you, you, you're at a rally and it's a, it's a, a racist rally yep. and, and, uh, and they, they're racist pe uh, people and, they hate, and they're anti-Semitic and they're racist. And you start sure. talking to somebody at the rally that's, that you know is on the side of the racist anti-Semitic group. And you find them to be curious, really curious. So you say, okay, he's, this person's curious, he, she, I'm gonna have this conversation. I'm gonna engage even maybe in a longer form relationship with this person, okay? I see you having the conversation. Maybe you see this person, it's two years have passed by and you always talk at the racist rallies and you're on the other side being the anti-racist and the anti-anti-Semitic. And, anti and I'm on your side and I walk up to you and I say, Dove, um, how could you talk to that person? They're anti-Semitic and a racist. Uh, you would seem like you like them. How could you do that? Here in my city, that would be just, that would be a crime. Sacrilege. Sacrilege, a crime. What would you, how would you explain that to somebody? That's a great question. And I explain that exactly the same way as I did to the, uh, the person leading the panel uh, when Tony and I spoke at the UN. And the, per the person leading the panel was actually a Muslim lady. And she said, uh, she said, how could you possibly, as a Jew, 
Now, you know, I'm not a Jew. I'm, I was born Jewish. There's a great deal of difference. Jew-ish. I like the ish on the end. I'm Jewish. I got it. As Chris said, uh, he said, uh, it, it, just because you fell out of an American vagina doesn't make you American. <laughs> so, uh, um, so for me, you know, she said, how could you as a Jew uh, mentor somebody who was white Aryan race? Um, and I said, um, you know, and how could you de-radicalize that guy? Weren't you just angry all the time at him? And I said, no, never. And they said, really? Like he denies the, he denied the Holocaust. No, he doesn't anymore, but he denied the Holocaust and all those kinds of things. I said, yeah. And they said, well, how could you do that? We don't understand. Help us to understand that. And I said, oh, that's really simple. Nobody sits in front of me who isn't my teacher. And she said, do you really believe that? And I said, absolutely. And I'll take it further. And she said, what do you mean? I said, nobody sits in front of me who isn't me. And, and she said, so you were a neo-Nazi, even though you were born Jewish? I go, of course not. No, not at all. Okay. She goes, she goes well, what do you mean then? I said, you see, you see a neo-Nazi. I see a highly intellectual, highly articulate, insecure, emotionally deprived human being who wanted to belong. I've been all of those things. I saw me. And so they were talking about de-radicalization. I turned to Tony and said, did I ever use the word de-radicalization? He goes, no. I said, what did we talk about? He goes, Monty Python. I said, right. This is the answer. You find a common ground and you build on the common ground, not from the, not from the, not from the divergent sides, but rather on the common ground. And you find that by saying, well, you know, y- your dad didn't give you much love. Well, guess what? Here's what my dad was like. And we start talking about that. We find that common ground in, in how we yearned for a father's love that we could never get. And suddenly there's no longer a neo-Nazi in front of me. There's a little boy who wanted his dad's love. Oh. So for me, you know, and from that place, our uh, radical ideas, suddenly we both get a look at them and go, oh, you know, maybe I, maybe I believe this because it's rooted because this is my work, right? It's rooted in the deep psychological drivers. What are those deep psychological drivers of that human being, which are entirely subjective, rather than being um, an idea of belief in in the iconic idea of neo-Nazism or liberalism or some other bullshit-ism that actually says we're right and you're wrong. It it makes me think about how the stiff concepts and stiff words trap us. They keep Absolutely. us from, they fence us in and keep us from being curious and engaging the world. They, they thought stop. It's like 1984. They just shut us down in, in terms of curiosity, words and concepts that are fixed. Just yeah. the, the curiosity killer. Exactly. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I would never put myself on the far right but I certainly would not put myself on the far left. I think they're exactly the same thing. If I take the coin and flip it up, it goes up heads and comes down tails. It's still the same coin. I, I, I couldn't exactly. agree. I'm seeing this. It's so dangerous because we're better than them, you know, and that's on both sides. We're better than them. They're both saying the same thing. And I'm like, 
this is 1984 waiting to happen. It's already in progress because it's absolute. And absolutes don't work. They don't work. They are the basis of all war. I went and spoke in Iran. I came back and wrote an article that went pretty viral, and it was called uh, Misconcepts or 12 Myths About Iran. And because I wanted to come back, and you, know, you talked about it earlier, uh, I wanted to come back and have people realize how easy it is for us to other, to say, well, they're not like us. So I came back and wrote about, you know, what's your perception of Iran? Is it hot? Well, here's the truth. I was there, it was snowing, and people were skiing on the mountain behind me. Oh, you think people are on camels and riding around in the desert? Well, this is what the city looked like. Here's how it was. People were driving Mercedes and clunker cars, just like they are in this city, uh, in your city. Um, you think that women are not respected? Here's a story of, that will blow your mind about how women are respected. You think the women are all repressed and suppressed? Well, guess what? Here's the facts. That in Tehran, in fact, in Iran, that the average woman who is in her mid-20s has a master's degree that was paid for by the state. She's allowed to go to university. She's allowed to get educated. And she's more educated than you, American woman. So shut up and pay attention and just actually pay attention to what's really there versus the, what the media or the government are telling you. Because if you look, and I said, in Iran, if you look up on one of the buildings, it says, down with America. The people didn't put that there. The government did. I said, you know what? If you talk to, talk to an Iranian looking at that, you know what they say? Oh, we know that's nonsense. The government does that. Yeah, they I mean, understand the difference. They understand that that's propaganda. And the problem in, in, the, in North America is we don't know propaganda from reality. Yeah. A big challenge. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know, I, I think I'm lucky because growing up in L.A., which is the largest, you know, Persian or Iranian diaspora in the world, and then also going to school in London, I would see, I'd be at Heathrow, headed somewhere, and I would see these beautiful women, you know, boarding a flight to Tehran, putting their headdresses on. But what was under the headdress? Right, Cartier, beautiful clothes, Hair, you know, and I, and I it, so blonde hair that's been yeah. dyed, and yeah. a nose job that is perfect. Yeah, and I thought, wow, this is not my perception of what I thought that was. But I saw so it. It really resonates what you're saying.